0: This morning our text is Zechariah chapter 6. We're going to read the whole chapter. The first half of the chapter is the final of Zechariah's night visions. Chapter 6 is right about the middle of the book of Zechariah. In the middle of the book it ends the vision. So this is the, the seventh. Some people count eight visions the way I count it. It's the seventh and final vision. And the second half of the chapter is a coronation scene, a king being named. And I believe that that coronation scene brings everything together in these visions. And through that crowning, we can understand and see all the visions in a special way. This is God's holy and infallible word, Zechariah 6. I looked up again. That's how all these visions start. I looked up. I looked up again, and there before me were four chariots coming out from between two mountains, mountains of bronze. The first chariot had red horses, the second black, the third white, and the fourth dappled, all of them powerful. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these, my Lord? The angel answered me, these are the four spirits of heaven going out from standing in the presence of the Lord of the whole world. The one with the black horses is going toward the north country. The one with the white horses toward the west. The one with the dappled horses toward the south. When the powerful horses went out, they were straining to go throughout the earth. And he said, go throughout the earth. So they went throughout the earth. And then he called to me, look, those going toward the north country have given my spirit rest in the land of the north. And it kind of transitions to a prophecy The word of the Lord came to me, take silver and gold from the exiles, Heldai, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have arrived from Babylon. Go the same day to the house of Josiah, son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold and make a crown and set it on the head of the high priest, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. Tell him, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Here is the man whose name is the branch, and he will branch out from his place and build the temple of the Lord. It is he who will build the temple of the Lord, and he will be clothed with majesty and will sit and rule on his throne, and he will be a priest on his throne, and there will be harmony between the two. The crown will be given to Heldai, Tobijah, Jediah, and Hen, son of Zephaniah, as a memorial in the temple of the Lord. Those who are far away will come and help to build the temple of the Lord. And you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. This will happen if you diligently obey the Lord your God. That's God's word for us this morning. So we have this coronation scene. The end of of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The books, obviously also the movies. Um... There's a coronation scene there, and in the movies we see a first a scene of a huge throng of people, and this multitude is looking forward, looking ahead to two men. Gandalf the wizard is there with his snow white beard and hair and robe. He's facing the crowd. And then a man, Aragorn, is below facing him. And in the scene, Gandalf places a crown of silver and gold on the rightful heir to the throne. And he makes him king. The author of the Lord of the Rings meant this scene as a picture of God the Father putting a crown on his son Jesus. Philippians 2 says that after Jesus was born and suffered and died, God raised him from the dead and exalted him to the highest place and gave Jesus the name that is above every name, that at his name every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Our Jesus is the King of Kings. In our scene, God tells Zechariah to place a crown of silver and gold on Joshua, the high priest in that day. And this is a picture of Jesus. We know that because a high priest would never wear a crown priest, king, different offices in the Old Testament, but the Bible tells us Jesus brought the Old Testament offices of priest and king and prophet to together in his person and work once and for all, showing that we don't need anyone else for our salvation from sin. It's also really clear, it's pointing to Jesus Because God says in verse 12 of our chapter, here is the man whose name is the branch. And the NIV, our translation says branch capital B because they know what's going on here. Branch is a name of Jesus. So this is a prophecy about Jesus as our king. Kings reign, kings rule. Did you catch what? the king here is going to do? He will build something. He will build something, we read. He will build the temple of the Lord. So what's that talking about? What temple is that? Well, there was, we haven't talked about it a ton in these visions, but it's come up. There was a temple rebuilding going on in Zechariah's day, building up from the rubble of the destruction of Jerusalem. But because this is a prophecy about Jesus, there has to be a future reference too. It's not just the temple in Zechariah's day. Some Christians, and actually maybe many of the preachers that you might hear on TV and the radio teach that these prophecies that we get at the end of the Old Testament and also the prophecies in the book of Revelation are about the temple, the, the ones that are about the temple, the ones that are about Jerusalem, are telling about a future time when the nation of Israel and its temple and the city will be rebuilt and Jesus will sit on a throne from Jerusalem And those people believe that the times we're living in, the age of the church, is temporary. That after this time has passed away, God's going to continue His plan with Israel that failed when the Jews rejected Jesus. And with that view of Scripture they look with great interest today at the Middle East and the nation of Israel. So what this is getting at, of course, is a particular view of the end times. At faith, we don't force on people a particular view of the end of time. But I do want you to know that both of us, Pastor Matthew and I as your pastors, and we talked about this this week, we we believe that the Bible shows us that the Old Testament stuff has once and for all been closed and done with at Jesus' coming. We don't believe the Bible shows that there will be a future time when the Old Testament sacrificial system will be restored and Jesus will reign from Jerusalem on earth for a thousand years. We believe that Jesus is ruling all things from his heavenly throne right now. And then one day surrounding some great end-time events that will come, Jesus will come again one day. And eternity will begin. And so, in Revelation and other parts of the New Testament, when there's talk of the new Jerusalem, it's a picture for God's people of heaven, not a literal new Jerusalem. And the New Testament calls people children of Abraham, calls us children of Abraham, not not because we're related biologically to Abraham, but because we're saved like Abraham through faith. That's what the new Israel is. All people who believe in Jesus. The New Testament teaches this. And this temple then is not about a physical temple in the future. It's about the church right now. And that means all these visions are about Jesus' great building project, the king's building project, the church. They show us how he builds the church, and they show us what that means for our part in his building project right here at Faith Church today. And that's what I want to talk about for a little bit, how these visions, what these visions show us about God's building project at faith. First of all, we see God is building his church with precious building blocks. That's one way, very important way. It's why I'm starting with it, of how God, King Jesus, is building his church. In chapter 3, if you were here, you remember, we saw the Lord rebuke Satan, who was accusing The child of God. And God says, Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? In other words, knock it off, Satan. Get out of here, says God. This one is my own chosen child. God saves people from the fires of hell by his grace. He takes off the filthy clothes of our sin, he dresses us in clean clothes the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He calls us to live for him. The building blocks of the church are God's precious people. We need to hear that because God's people can get sidetracked with important but secondary matters in the church. How old or new a church building is. Good administration and organization, well running committees, important, important matters. But administration, our facility, the budget, these aren't ends to themselves. There's a greater purpose. The Church is about people first of all it 's about people being saved from sin and death and brought to new life and discipled to live the new life more and more every day we're here to invite people to turn to Jesus for salvation from the fires of hell. Chapter three that talks about that burnt that stick snatched from the fire it 's the fourth of the seven visions, it's the middle one. And I don't think that's a coincidence. The heart of God's building project is each and every person in the church. Whether it's our older saints, our students, precious new babies being born, a guest in worship, someone new to our area, new to our community, God builds the church and we're a part of that one Person at a time. One precious person at a time. So we need to ask questions like, how do we keep the focus on people? How do we reach people? How do we most effectively tell people of our gracious God who, who plucks people from the fire so that they can walk in his ways? Personally, you When you think of the church, are you obsessed with secondary matters? Or are you thinking about the precious people around you? The precious, precious people out there who need Jesus. People so precious that God sent Jesus to die to save us. Second, these visions show us that God builds his church through an out-of-this-world strategy. Chapter 4 tells us God's message to Zerubbabel. That was the guy leading the building project. This same message comes to God's leaders in the church today too. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit. Corporations and businesses spend a lot of time about on strategy, analysis, restructuring. Right near our house is a Pete's Fresh Market. It's the one on Roosevelt Summit there, I think, right? We don't shop there much, but I'll let you in on a little secret. They have $1 gelatos. $1. And it's not just... One little scoop. It's several scoops. It's big, a dollar. Sophia and Adriana and I go there for special on a regular basis. Well, that store, I think it's like a couple years old, maybe maybe a few. They just completely redid the counters and area where the gelato and coffee and other treats are served. They're redoing. There's a little entrance there. I'm sure it costs tens of thousands of dollars. And it seems like companies have to do that to survive today, right? To keep up with the competition. Visioning and planning. Churches need to do that. Council, a while back, asked a property planning team to bring some recommendations for a possible facelift to some things around the church. A while back, we we redid our, our main entrances. We laid a new parking lot a couple months ago. We have a mission statement that we follow. But the church is not a grocery store, unless I'm missing something. We can't forget that the church is fundamentally different. Our mission is completely different. Our values, our goals are unique not by might or power which are the world strategies but by my spirit ministers are not ceos our council is not a board of directors we are spirit led that same vision says not to despise the day of small things which means the out of this world strategy of the spirit is not necessarily what we'd expect. God's ways are often upside down from the world's ways. And we only need to look ahead to Christmas, and the snow is making us do that a little earlier than we want to, but we only need to look ahead to the baby Jesus and Jesus' ministry of suffering to go to the cross to see that God's ways are not what we'd expect. In weakness, in the small things by the world standards, Jesus came to bring salvation. And we see the small things in how God's followers were called to build up the church after Jesus rose again. How was it? What were the strategies? It's the end of Acts 2. Person by person. Caring for those in need. Preaching sermons to people. Prayer. Not a typical recipe for success. And it's because the church is given an out-of-this-world strategy, spirit strategy. Third, God builds his church through the pillar of his presence. In the final vision that we read today, and in the first vision in chapter 1, The presence of God is emphasized. So this is something important in the building project of the church. In our vision today, we see chariots coming from between two bronze mountains. And again, with all these visions, we're like, what's going on? What's that about? Well, it kind of says it in our text. And we also know that there were two big bronze pillars in Solomon's temple the temple was the dwelling place of God, and so the two mountains symbolize god 's dwelling place. The text actually says it: where God is present. in the first vision we saw remember that rider in the midst of the myrtle trees by the deep. that picture is such a great comfort because the myrtle trees are god 's people, and the deep, the valley is the challenges of this world. guess what? It tells us we're not left alone in the valley because the rider on the red horse is Jesus. He is with us. He stands among us and that means God is with us. The great Christmas name of Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. God promises to be present with his people. God's presence with his people. What a unique and mysterious and awesome thing it is that the church offers to people. The church is a sacred gathering in the sense that God is present in our midst. He is everywhere. He's God. But in the church, God is present in a special way, bringing comfort, And hope and his care and his encouragement and his light into people's lives. And because he dwells in our midst as a whole and in our hearts personally, we can be God's presence for people. We can be God's presence. Stephen ministry does that in a very special way in our church. And each one of us is called to do that. A while back, someone in our church had a major surgery. Their spouse had to wait at the hospital during the surgery. And I think it was like seven or eight hours long. A big surgery. A long surgery. And that's a tough situation to be in when you're the one waiting. Somehow I heard this. I heard that a fellow church member surprised this waiting husband, and this member took off of work and sat with him for two hours during that waiting. And then I heard also another church member brought this waiting husband lunch. And that's just what I heard. That meant the world, it gave so much encouragement. And comfort, and that is the church in action. That is the pillar of God's presence, Jesus, in us to comfort someone in need. God builds his church, and he is building his church in this way, through the pillar of his presence. Don't underestimate how God can use even you to bring his presence into someone's life, to touch them. And it's because God's spirit is in you if you believe in Jesus. Fourth, God builds his church with ultimate victory assured. Our visions, which kind of have been showing us that God's enemies try to disrupt God's plan and try to disrupt God's people. Our last vision, with the chariots going out, is telling us that one day evil will once and for all be defeated in God's time one day God will say enough with it all why he hasn't said that already we don't know because we can feel like enough is enough in this world and in my life sin and suffering and cancer and killings but God will end it all when his perfect will decides it's time on that day God will send out his war chariots from his heavenly dwelling. Like these chariots go in different directions, God's chariots will go out everywhere there is opposition to him, and he will completely defeat sin and the devil, and he will banish wickedness. God will lock it up in a container, close the lid forever. And so we build the church with that assurance, with that hope. This is what we're living towards, the final victory. This is what we're calling people towards, that great and glorious day. Those who are on God's side through faith in Jesus will experience the victory too. And that makes all the difference for how we approach life in this world today. That makes all the difference that we have the victory in Jesus for how we build the church and the confidence in which we do it. We're not scared. Jesus reigns. God is in control. He's working it all out. He is taking care of it all. He will completely take care of it all one day. And we're with him when we belong to Jesus. There's a final lesson on how God builds his church from these visions I want to talk about. And that's with the gifts of each one of his craftsmen and craftswomen. The end of chapter 1 told us about that. Talking about his craftsmen at the end of chapter 1, that was talking about all of us. Because Ephesians 2 says, In Jesus, you are God's workmanship. And that means you and I were part of the building project. God's kingdom work is big and broad. We have that vision as a church. Some people call it a reformed world and life view. God's kingdom isn't just the church. It's big and broad. He's working in this world. We support ministries in many places. We are building the kingdom in our homes, in our marriages, at our schools, in all sorts of ways, everywhere we go. But we also build up God's kingdom in a special way by building up faith church. Our church, I think it has to do with the fact that we're a reformed church theologically, has always had such an excellent outward focus. We give so much to outside causes to the extent I think our deacons mentioned it last week or the week before. 25% of our own budget goes outside ourselves. Our outward focus is so vital to who we are. I think we have to be careful not to forget the building project that Jesus is doing right here we're called to be God's craftsmen and craftswomen and crafts boys and girls here too. He has given us whatever time and talents and final resource, financial resources we have, to be used for His glory, to be used, you know what, right here. God's workmen can choose to be not so active, to not participate in the building project. And there are always those in the church who choose not to be so much. I believe that's a mistake. I believe that you miss out on the tremendous joy and blessing that there is in being part of God's building project. I invite you to choose to be part of what God is building here. Whoever you are, with whatever you have, we don't worry about how much or little time we have. We, you don't worry so much about how little talents you may feel you have or how many great talents you have. Don't worry about how much or little money you have. Don't worry about how great a prayer you are or how poor in prayer you feel you are. All you have to do is use what you have, whether you have much or little or probably like most of us, somewhere in between. That's how God designed it. Our calling is simply to be faithful. I am 100% certain that God is gathering exactly who he needs in order to build up his church solidly and well right here today. And I believe God is doing just that at Faith Church. May he find me may he find you faithful with the gifts that he's given you i have some final thoughts about all this and a final story we got to realize that until king jesus returns there will be opposition to his building project to his building up of the church in fact, you can bet that especially when a church is being faithful to God, there will be opposition. I think it's important to keep that in mind because sometimes we think, we think this in our own lives, but we're talking about the church, us today. Sometimes we think if we're following God's will as a church, well then everything will be smooth sailing. Everything in the church will fall perfectly into place. We'll have no worries, no concerns. We'll be above budget all year long. We'll have to turn people away at the doors because we don't have room for them in the pews. We won't have any challenges. Well, that would be great, except my Bible doesn't tell me anything like that. My Bible tells me that we have an enemy working actively against us. And my Bible says that Christians have suffering and challenges in their lives if we're truly following our suffering Savior. We're going to be tested in all sorts of ways, especially if we're on the right track as a church. In all of these lessons from the visions, I mentioned five of them, we can expect testing. We can expect challenges. When we hear God teach us, the leaders of the church, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, you can bet our elders and deacons are going to be tempted to instead use the world's ways and strategies when God shows us again and again how he uses the weak things of this world to build his church satan's going to put before our eyes the big things the flashy things ooh let's try that that looks exciting not by might not by power but by my spirit that's the strategy i was tested on one of these just this past week, and I, I didn't even realize it was happening. I didn't realize it till afterwards, so I, I want to tell you about it. It was, it was 5.30 this past Wednesday night. I guess that's afternoon, but when it gets dark that soon, it definitely feels like night. I had to pick up Olivia at 6.45 from school. I had a good plan for this message this morning, and I was starting to write it. I mean, that's the end of the day on Wednesday. That's, that's pretty good. And I was going to make the best use of that last hour that I had of my work day. Worked on the introduction. Finished the first point. Four more to go. I had five of them, so I had a little ways to go. Then, Lambert Bronger, who was setting up for cadets, Lambert. Lambert's always here, yeah. There he is. He, he, introduced, me, he, was, he introduced me to John. And the reason Lambert brought him to me is because john came into our church looking for a pastor so looking for help ah the worst timing ever i'm rolling i got like 45 minutes i can keep going john explained his situation he was from pittsburgh visiting his sister in maywood he needed a train ticket to get back to maywood I explained to him how it works and and how as pastors and deacons we do this together. I'm not in charge of the finances. I don't have access to the church funds, but I could contact a deacon to set up a time to meet with him, to talk this through and see if help could be had. He didn't have a phone, which is kind of unusual. Most people that come in do. So a deacon couldn't call him. I'm like, I'm sorry. There's nothing we can do. You know, we're, we're a church. We're not set up for, for this, really. He asked about another church he could go to. I told him, because I knew he was headed toward the train station, about First Baptist on the way to downtown Elmhurst, right, up York. He didn't have a car. He's like, how far away is that? I'm like, half a mile. I think it's really longer than half a mile. You know, is this guy scamming me? Who knows? But I'm sitting there. I'm looking him in the eyes. He's looking at me. He's a human being. He's made in God's image. He needs help. I'm like, okay, I'm going to drive you to the train station. He says he's hungry as well. I looked in the church refrigerator. No food there. We go to McDonald's drive through I get him a number one combo. I drew the line at the french vanilla coffee with a couple sugars i'm said, i just doing the combo we drove up york street and i'm thinking my sermon i needed this time we talk about jesus we talk about his church he's very apologetic i'm really sorry to bother you i'm like it's okay it's okay i drop him off at the train station he needs money for a ticket i look at my wallet i've got a single i've got a 20 i give him the 20. He asked me to pray for him. I do. I drive back down York, which apparently at 6 p.m., because of the light at Vallette, takes forever. As I'm driving, it hit me. What I had just, the notes I had just written. Do you remember what the very first point of the sermon was? The, the precious building blocks God uses to build His church, people. And you know what? I don't care if you think I was foolish for giving this guy money, because God put him before me, face to face, a precious person made in God's image like every other person around us, like every other person on this planet. And the church is about people more than anything else. I feel like God was telling me, People are more important even than you writing your sermons, Greg. It's not about you, Greg. It's not about your plans. It's not about your schedule. It's not about your safety. I didn't know if this guy was going to rob me or pull a gun on me. I didn't. But God was saying it's about me and my building project, my precious people. That's why I died. That's who I died for. That's what you're here for. That's what faith church is here for, to gather in my people, to care for my people, the ones already in the church, all of you precious ones, and all the other people I want faith church to touch and reach and gather in to my presence by my son. I invite each one of you this morning to truly hear God's way of building his church May God convict us as a church and convict each one of us when our own ideas have gotten in the way of God's ideas. And I invite you to do your part with whatever you have to be a vital part of Jesus' temple, his church, right here at faith.